Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy on us all as we open our hearts and minds and lives to the gospel. As I said last Sunday in my sermon multiple times, following Jesus is hard. Case in point, the first verse in today's reading from Mark 10. Let me read it again, verse 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. They're on a walk. On a well-traveled road, following Jesus, literally, Jesus is walking ahead of them, they are walking right behind, and they are amazed, and they are afraid. Why is that? Is Jesus walking too fast? Is pace too hurried, too rushed, that they can't keep up? Could be. This is the urgent gospel, after all. And Jesus seems intent on going to Jerusalem and getting there. But I think in this case, it's simply the fact that he's walking toward Jerusalem. That is not the direction his followers want to be walking. It says they are amazed and afraid, and rightly so. They are amazed that Jesus is purposely walking toward the seat of the political and religious powers that are right now trying to destroy him. In Galilee, where they've been hanging out for quite a while, he's mostly loved and adored. But it's the upper echelons of the hierarchy in Jerusalem's temple and palace who are threatened by Jesus and are plotting to destroy him. Those who follow Jesus are amazed that he's choosing to go there. And they are afraid both for Jesus and for themselves. But they are following anyway. They are on the way with Jesus. And Jesus keeps talking about the terrible things awaiting them there. Two or three times already in our journey through Mark, Jesus has predicted his suffering and death. And now he does it again as they walk down the road together. Now, here's how I like to imagine it. Jesus is hoofing it, almost race walking, while panting from his cardio workout. He twists his neck around to speak to his disciples who are trying their best to keep up. And Jesus tells them, still walking in a whole series of short phrases, inhaling between every phrase, look, we are going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise again. Now, I don't know if that's how it came out of Jesus' mouth. But the choppy sentence structure in Mark makes it feel that way to me. Now, it's not a big deal, really. But a quick aside about the word aside. 
that shows up in verse 32 in the NRSV uh, and NIV and some others. It says, Jesus took the twelve aside. Now, the Greek text doesn't actually have that word aside in it. And many English translations don't include it either. But some add it, I think, to portray something that the translators imagine of Jesus asking his disciples to huddle up for a while under a shade tree by the road while they have this lengthy conversation. The Greek word paralambano only means that Jesus made sure they were near him. Not that he took them aside or took them away to a quiet spot. As I said, I like to imagine that Jesus talked to them on the road, hurriedly and breathlessly, because it fits the hurried mood of this gospel. And there's nothing in the text that makes my imagination any less valid than the imagination of the translators who thought Jesus took a rest stop. So, I invite you to imagine with me Jesus still hurrying down the road and his disciples, amazed and afraid, trying to keep up. And this makes the next verses all the more interesting. Because immediately after Jesus drops this verbal bomb on his disciples, I'm going to be executed by my enemies... James and John come forward to Jesus, Mark says in verse 35. Now, coming forward in my imaginary scene means they had to quicken their pace and start walking beside Jesus instead of behind him. Probably one on either side of Jesus, right and left. And they say, said, Jesus, teacher, do us a favor. Jesus says, what favor? Well, when you come into your glory... And sit on the throne, let us sit beside you in the place of honor, one on the right and the other on the left. Talk about gutsy and cheeky. Their rabbi had just said he would suffer and die, and their next move is to secure their own legacy. Yes, James and John just confirmed it. It's hard to follow Jesus, hard to keep up with what's happening, hard to know how to respond, hard to do what's actually required as a disciple. After James and John made this bold move, Jesus gave them a straightforward and honest answer. You do not know what you are asking. Now, of course, this three-way conversation at the front of the line happened within earshot of the ten bringing up the rear, which, as you might imagine, prompted a heated exchange among them, after which Jesus called to them, Mark said. Maybe still over his shoulder, he called out, You're acting like Gentiles! You're acting like Gentiles! They like to lord it over each other. If you follow me, you will do it differently. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. 
Then the hurrying toward Jerusalem continues. Verse 46, they came to Jericho as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho. Hear that? Mark wastes no words. They came to this big city, and as they were leaving the city, it's like Mark wants us to know they walked into the city, walked right through it without stopping, and as they are walking out, they pass by a blind beggar on the road. Now, just seeing the beggar didn't stop them. But the blind man learned that the crowd rushing by was being led by Jesus, and he started hollering loudly, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people all around tried to shush him, but he hollered all the louder, son of David, have mercy on me. Then, at long last, the urgent pace of Mark's narrative changes abruptly. For the first time since they headed for Jerusalem, Mark includes a stationary verb. Jesus stood still. After all these hours, maybe days of hurried hiking, Jesus stood still. And he said, call him here. He didn't turn and go to the man. He stood still. He directed other people to bring the man to him. So the man, in contrast to the stationary Jesus, threw off his cloak and sprang up. Don't you love those action verbs? They're sports verbs. Threw, sprang, and came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man, Bartimaeus, who's named, which simply means son of the defiled one. So it may not be his real name, but the way the narrative tells it. The blind man said, my teacher, let me see again. Jesus said, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately, Mark's favorite word, he regained his sight. And then what did he do? In verse 52, he followed him on the way. On the way. The formerly blind man, known as the son of the defiled one, joined the very crowd that had been hurrying for hours, maybe days, to keep up with Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. It's good stuff here. Mark's a great storyteller, right? But how do we bring it home to where we live? I'm sure there are any number of things in this story that could speak to you, so I hope you listen for those things and go wherever they take you. But here's where the story took me. This seems to be about trust, about faith, defined as trust. There's a whole 
unknown and threatening world that Jesus is leading his followers toward. It's in Jerusalem and in Rome. And it's embodied by King Herod, Governor Pilate, the high priest, the temple elite, and more. They have every reason to fear that threat. So staying as far away as possible seems to make good sense for them and for Jesus. But Jesus is going there, and therefore, so do they. So do they. These disciples may well be criticized as bumbling and fearful and short-sighted at times, but here, on the road to Jerusalem, they are shining examples of faith of trust that Jesus is worth following, even when following doesn't make logical sense. And, yes, just so we don't forget they are human, there's a story thrown in about them jockeying for position, angling for the seat of honor, but give them credit They are keeping up with Jesus as he heads toward conflict and confrontation. Where are we hesitant to follow Jesus? What do we need in order to trust like they did? Where is the Jerusalem today that Jesus is hurrying toward and inviting us to follow him there. Are we willing to follow? Are we willing to trust? And I'm not so sure that trust, in this case, means believing that everything is going to turn out fine. I think trust means having the courage to stay on the way with Jesus even without knowing what the end looks like. It means living life with, if not a sense of rest, at least a sense of purpose. People living with purpose tend to be people who don't lose themselves in fear and anxiety. They stay on the way. As we face an increasingly dangerous world, globally, nationally, even locally, we are still given a purpose in this world. Stick with Jesus. Go where Jesus is going. Join in God's healing and shalom project. Even when it looks hopeless, even when it feels like we are putting our lives on the line. Yes, we do often fall short and will continue to do so. So let us make our confession together. God of steadfast love, you invite us to follow where you lead. We confess that we often hold back for fear, for uncertainty, 
for an inability to trust. Give us courage to do your bidding, to go where you go. Deepen our courage, strengthen our faith, restore our trust. The God of steadfast love promises to be with you always, to extend grace, to forgive, to accompany, to comfort. Amen.